0: Um, Another thing that I would say is really challenging fears. And so um, whether that be food fears and exposing yourself to foods that scare you and eating them with people um, that you trust and care about, or that could look like exposing yourself to the thought in terms of just holding it um, there um, and really just like encountering the thought without using compulsive behaviors.
1: Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. Emily here coming at you on this fine Wednesday, day of release. What a time it's been. 2020 has started out with a bang, as we all know. And as you may know, if you follow along on Instagram, I'm at Emily Feigles, always linked below because I know the last name is hella hard to spell. Anyway, if you've been following along there, then you may have seen that on my 21st birthday in 2021, I received a positive test result for COVID so you know that was a little ironic a little laugh not really more like a mental emotional breakdown but we're doing it we're getting through it I feel perfectly fine I feel so grateful that I only experienced a few days of rather horrible symptoms and then things cleared up and now I'm just recovering and quarantining of course so it has been actually a blessing in disguise Having this time to just really dive deep into all the personal growth stuff I've been trying to do, you know, to certain books and habits I'm working to build and then having time to catch up on work. And I mean, honestly, guys, I've been here in Austin for four months and I still haven't completed my apartment. That's how crazy it has been. My bedroom is quite literally a bed with boxes on the floor still. Like, I still had boxes of stuff to build and put together. My bedroom is completely blank besides my bed. Like, there is so much for me to do. And so I think this time off is going to be actually really great for me. So while it felt like it ruined my birthday and (laughs) my life for the next two weeks, um, in all reality, there is so much to be grateful for. Um, You know, I'm grateful for financial stability and the fact that I work virtually as well so that I still have money coming in the flow. Grateful for some amazing friends and support systems that have been here for me during this time. Uh, Grateful for you guys and that I still get to connect and create content for you all. There's just so much that, you know, while it was hard at first, I'm, I'm okay with it now. I see why it needed to happen, I see why it happened, and I'm A-okay. That being said, all of that aside, we have such a great focused episode for you all today. So it's a bit shorter, but it's focused, we get right to the point, very straightforward, and today what you'll be learning and hearing all about is on OCD and the tie to eating disorders and overall mental health and wellness. It is with the lovely Mimi Cole of The Lovely Becoming. She is a therapist in training and eating disorder recovery advocate. Her work is here to, in my view, inspire thought, empower action, and bring about change in the everyday life. That's how I feel, at least, from her content on Instagram and just talking with her. I mean, she is truly one-of-a-kind, and just so, so thankful to bring her voice to you all. Mimi specializes in OCD and eating disorders when it comes to mental health, and so this conversation is just perfect for this community, um, for anyone struggling with an ED, with recovery, with mental health, or perhaps even clinically diagnosed OCD. I wanted to have this chat with her and share it with you all because damn... When I realized the compulsive roots of an eating disorder, I was blown away, right? Like, when I started to understand how deep these compulsions go to do certain things, right, like, I'm trying to think. Like, my, some of the compulsions I noticed first when it came to my eating disorder and recovery was, like, the compulsion of body checking every time I went by a mirror, um, The compulsion to this was early on, like I haven't struggled with this in years, but like the compulsion to always automatically check like labels, right, for calories. Uh, Later on, that would be orthorexia and always compulsively checking labels for ingredients, right? Because quote unquote good and quote unquote bad foods, we all know those don't exist, but it's still something that's there. So, just so many compulsions that are part of um, an eating disorder or even just disordered eating habits and thoughts. So it's very important, I think, to learn about this, right? Like to learn about the connection between different aspects of what we struggle with so that we can do our best to work through them and to recover. That's why I think listening and learning about these type of things can be so beneficial and important. It opens up your mind, it opens up your eyes to what's happening and or what to do next then as well so if you listen to this episode and have a light bulb moment of wow that's why I do this or that's why I'm struggling with that step or oh wow that's why I think this way etc etc let us know like I would love to connect with you on what you had a brainstorm moment on or even if it's just like a little uh, a little nudge like let's discuss I love geeking out about this type of stuff not even geeking out, but just connecting and talking through it because we all struggle with it, right? So you can connect, you can share it with a friend, talk about it with them, share on Instagram, you know the drill. Now I do will say there's some audio clipping weirdness on my end, but otherwise like this is a phenomenal quick episode that I think will really benefit a lot of you. So just a quick overview, we do dive into what OCD actually is, understanding the compulsive drives we experience in everyday life. Uh, An interesting part is when we discuss what a disordered diagnosis is versus the mainstream misconception of what a disorder is, right? So even though so many of us joke around saying like, oh, it's my OCD, well, like there is quite the difference when it comes to those disorder diagnoses. And so it's just interesting to hear about from Mimi's perspective as a professional in the field. Uh, We go into different therapy styles and ways to work on OCD, eating disorders, compulsive behaviors, etc. The connection between OCD, clinically diagnosed, and eating disorders. Uh, The power of exposure versus running away. This is called opposite action, which you guys may have heard me talk about with Jennifer Roland and an previous episode that is fire if you are struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders uh, and then just overall like one acceptance when it comes to facing food fears uh, character traits like perfectionism and how they can contribute to certain disorders and manifestations and mental health like so much to consider and listen and think about from this episode so let us know if you listen let us know your thoughts we would love to connect you can connect with Mimi on Instagram at thelovely.becoming and her podcast as well. Both are blo- linked below. And I'm on Instagram at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. If you guys can connect, that would be amazing. Give it a share. Or if you're feeling called to it, you can always leave a rate and review for the podcast. Helps the show so much and always makes me smile. Every now and then, I like to read one here in the intros as well just to let you know what people are thinking of the show, you know? (laughs) So thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And without further ado, let's begin. What got you started in this field? So today we're going to be talking about, you know, overall mental health, OCD, eating disorders, topics that are very prevalent in my life, and, you know, very much so for my audience and any of those people listening as well. So, like what pulled you into this path like was it past experience of your own was it watching people in your own life what was sort of that like tug in that direction i suppose
0: yeah so um before i started my undergraduate degree i had never been to therapy i didn't really know much about it um i was very set on being a teacher um, in special education and so that was my passion at the time and i um went and looked for schools based on that Um, and then when I got to college like many other people I started experiencing anxiety symptoms Um, and so I was looking for a therapist and she ended up pointing out um, a possible eating disorder Um, and then through that journey I learned about OCD as well Um, and then I had it and um, just learned a lot of truths about it beyond the um, misconceptions of the media Oh, okay. I love that. Yeah. So you've got like
1: the past experience in there as well that sort of fuels the fire, I suppose. Um, And so I love that you just mentioned that about like the misconceptions about, about it all from society. And I think we see that in a lot of things, but specifically when it comes to like, let's start out, I suppose, with OCD. What would you say is like the misconception about it in Modern media and in you know how nonchalantly we can all say oh I have OCD like let's let's break down why it's so like misunderstood in a sense I suppose
0: yeah so the only thing that I've really heard talked about um, or I would say the two is just right OCD and contamination OCD um, and they're really misunderstood because contamination OCD and just write OCD aren't about liking, um, those compulsions and those habits like hand washing is a really popular one in the media, um, or like correcting a pencil to be the perfectly straight thing. Um, but really it's, it's a lot about, um, safety seeking and reducing anxiety and an inability to tolerate distress. Um, so a lot of people with OCD will link, um, compulsive compulsive behaviors or intrusive thoughts to something. If I don't do this, something bad will happen to me or my loved ones. Um, and so it's really driven by a lot of fear and anxiety. Whereas in the media, it's kind of like, I like to be clean. I like to be organized and like, oh, I'm so like OCD about it. Um, but in reality, OCD has a ton of different themes. Um, and so it can be um, scrupulosity, which is moral obsessions and religious obsessions, um, it can look like um, inappropriate sexual thoughts about kids. Um, it can look like um, fear of driving and running someone over. Um, but the key is that uh, all intrusive thoughts are ego dystonic for the sufferer, and so that means that they're opposite to their values and belief systems. Okay.
1: So it's yeah, I, I like what that word there you used, intrusive, because. I think that's something that anyone who's had an eating disorder or struggled with disordered eating could actually, one second, I'm just unplugging my microphone really quick. Okay, there we go. Um, I think that anyone who's like kind of struggled in that sense could relate and understand the intrusive thoughts of like diet culture, right? Of mm-hmm. like body image thoughts or food thoughts or whatever, but they can like come at us in so many other ways of life too. And um, what you were saying in the beginning, it almost kind of reminds me of people, like when you get what is it? Um, Not like superstitions, but you know, like it'll be like game day, right? And the athletes have all the little things they have to do to make sure that like the game goes right or whatever it is. And what you were saying there about like, it's like these compulsive habits or behaviors or thoughts that we feel we have to do. Otherwise, like someone may get hurt or someone, you know, like may suffer. Is that sort of like a similar kind of analogy there? Like combining those kind of two similar things?
0: I think so. I think what I would say is it's a lot more intensified and debilitating, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you're kind of getting at. Um, But it's just kind of this idea that like, I need to do this thing so that people don't die, people don't get harmed. Um, And so it's very uh, debilitating. Okay.
1: And so is this something that we're born with? Is this something that develops over time? Um, I'm just sort of curious, you know, like what could lead us to this train of thinking, this sort of, you know, like belief in the world that that is OCD?
0: Yeah. So, um, a lot of it is that the individuals, so everybody gets intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, is what I'll say. The problem is for individuals with OCD, they get really stuck in the loop of what do these thoughts mean about me? What do they say about my values and how do I kind of suppress those thoughts? So a lot of the common narrative, Um, like with all mental disorders, there's a mix of environment and, um, genetics. And so genetic predispositions can play a role. Um, stressful environments can play a role in continuing to, um, perpetuate compulsive behaviors and also not receiving treatment and help and not knowing that it's a problem.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And something I wanted to hit on actually right there, when you said, um, with like the disorder part, you did a post once about D is for disorder and you were talking a bit about how, you know, this is, a. legitimate term. And yet, as I said in the beginning, how many of us are around like, Oh, I have OCD or even, I mean, you know, eating disorder versus disordered eating vice versa. So could you, I mean, not to go too far off topic, but real quick hone in on like what the idea of like this clinical diagnosis of a disorder would be versus what we all just say. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so um, in the DSM, which is the diagnosis, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, for treating and or for rather diagnosing mental illnesses, um, that we use across um, a lot of the United States and North America as well as in Europe. Um, so this manual states a bunch of different criteria. One of those being that the compulsions or obsessions must take up an hour a day at least. Um, and so that's one of the criteria. And then it must cause clinically significant distress. And so it has to be something that the individual feels like they can't control. The individual feels like it takes over their life kind of. Um, and so those are some of the criteria. And then um, making sure that there really are true like getting stuck in obsessive thinking and getting intrusive thoughts more frequently. Um, And then compulsions can be mental or physical. So they can be rumination, things like that. Um, But yes, the diagnosis really does kind of comprise of a lot of different um, factors and assets.
1: That being said, you said it has to take up like an hour of day. Like there's all these specifications for it. So when it comes to, you know, circling back to OCD here, what are some ways that that might impact like day-to-day life Now you mentioned, you know, like a general, not a general, but like a specific way of like intrusive thoughts about like um, you listed like two or three there. But I guess like besides that, what are some ways that may manifest in the day-to-day life that could be intrusive or impact like how we move throughout the world in a sense?
0: Yeah, so if you're having intrusive thoughts, for example, about your religion, um, which is called scrupulosity, or about doing things right, incorrect, and morally um, appropriate, um, then that's going to impact the way you show up in relationships, because you're always going to be worrying. For example, one thought that I used to have was, if I don't pick up this piece of trash on the road, God will be mad at me. And you can imagine there are tons of pieces of trash around the world. And so constantly thinking about, is it my moral duty to um, apologize several times, is it my moral duty to make sure I do things right and perfectly? If there's a plan for me, then there's a perfect fork I should be using right now. Um, so it really takes up a lot of space in your head and your mind Um, and and holds weight in your body as well. And so um, it can really interrupt. Another one that I can think of is avoidance. So if you're having sexually inappropriate thoughts about children, um, which is a theme of obsessive compulsive disorder, then typically individuals will um, avoid being around children, and they will be very scared about um, what they might or might not do.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I like what you said there about it's it's a weight, like it really does weigh on you. I mean, that would be intensive to carry and to have that like built up inside. I guess, you know, going on that note, then if someone is like thinking they're curious about this, or they just want to figure out like if there's more to it for themselves, like what would be the first step to maybe like exploring whether this was present in someone's life? Like, is it to find a therapist? Is there some like standardized test they do? Like, how does this sort of happen for anyone that's looking to do that?
0: Yeah, so there's informal diagnosis tests, uh, tests um, or semi-structured interviewing that um, therapists can do. But there's also certainly um, more structured tests and formal testing for OCD. Um, But where I would start, it's definitely looking at the IOCDF's website and looking for someone who specializes in OCD because it's very important that they understand that um, those intrusive thoughts are not about what your intentions are or what your values are. Um, And they're able to separate kind of um, what might be like more suicidal tendencies, for example, versus intrusive thoughts about self-harm. Um, and, and provide treatment. Um, that's the gold standard, which is exposure, response prevention therapy. Okay.
1: And so what is that what does that therapy consist of the exposure? I can't
0: say the uh-huh. rest of it. <laughs> exposure, response prevention or ERP, for okay. short. Um, so exposures look like either in vivo, which is live exposures or imaginal exposures. Um, so that can look like writing a worry script about the worst thing that could happen, um, based on our thoughts, or that could look like doing a physically, um, in-person exposure such as, um, touching door handles, touching toilet um, seats, touching um, things that are considered contaminated, or it could look like, um, to use a less stereotypical example, um, driving around and not ruminating um, and imagining that you may or may not have hit someone and not known it. Um, And so what you wanna do is you wanna prevent a compulsive response. And so you do those activities and you engage in the worries and the fears without using compulsive behaviors. And so over time you learn in your body that something bad may or may not happen, but I can cope with the distress and tolerate the uncertainty.
1: Mm, Okay. No, I can imagine that would be like an immense, it'd be, it'd be hard, but that if you were able to come to that conclusion at the end of it, like that would be, I can only imagine such a like weight off your chest to have that comfort, that sort of like, thought in your mind as well. Um, And I guess like on that, on that topic and on the idea of the compulsiveness of it all, that's actually how I myself was thinking the one day about how like there has to be some correlation between OCD and eating disorders. And I mean, sure enough, you look it up on Google and it's everywhere, but like that came to me from that, like idea of like the compulsive nature of it. And so swinging into how these two can overlap or correlate, like what have you seen as the, High sort of like the connection between OCD and eating disorders, um, just to show people like this other side to them both as well.
0: Yeah. So a lot of people have comorbid OCD and eating disorders, which just means that they have both diagnoses. Um, I think it was, Um, One of the versions of the DSM, I can't remember at the moment, I'm at the top of my head, but they changed the criteria so that OCD could not be obsessions with food and body. So that would be more characterized as an eating disorder. Um, But there's also orthorexia, which some people call an eating disorder. Some people call it an obsessive compulsive related disorder. Um, And so I kind of think of it as a mesh of both. Um, where I conceptualize it as in a a set of obsessions with clean eating and rigid um, patterns and then compulsions of only eating certain foods or doing um, juice cleanses and detoxes and things like that would be the kind of following resulting compulsion to reduce anxiety. Um, And so really there's a lot of ways that they can manifest. You can have any type of eating disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder as well. Um, But I think A lot of it has to do with the themes that it presents with um, and then kind of like how your relationship with food and body is as well.
1: Okay. Okay. That got me thinking because I've experienced both. I, you know, I was clinically diagnosed with anorexia nervosa when I was, you know, like 12, 13 and, you know, although eating disorders and disordered eating can seem so, I suppose, all in one, right. From someone from the outside, like, Oh, you're scared of this, or you won't do that, whatever you want to be thin. It's like, no, me, when I had that like clinical diagnosis of like anorexia, like a whole different type of thing, it was so different than when I was going through orthorexia and it like the mindset, everything, my behaviors, everything was so different. And I mean, you know, kind of in the same spectrum, but just on pretty much different sides. And So I I think that's so curious that like, even you just pointed out, like there is a difference there, right? Like there's um, a difference in how they kind of are portrayed and even how they're spoken about diagnosed in a sense. Um, So I guess like on that note, then like, what's something you would advise someone do? So like, say they're struggling with disordered eating and eating disorder, and they're feeling these like compulsive behaviors, these habits, these thoughts, like what are some maybe like practices or daily routines that like people can do to help just to help it. You know what I mean? Like I know professional help is like always a go-to, but sometimes that's not always available. And so it's like, wh- what can we do to help ourselves, to empower ourselves or pull in outside help if needed?
0: Yeah. So definitely, like you said, see it there um but also um, i think leaning into the discomfort and not trying to engage in thought suppression um, and so the, what that means is basically don't say like don't think that thought i can't think that that's um trying to engage with the thought or challenge the thought and um i guess i shouldn't say challenge the thought because thought challenging is very important um but i mean that um kind of trying to fight the thought away or push it down is not helpful. So just really embracing the presence of the thought, but not the content of it as your own. Um, And so really sitting and being mindful and practicing grounding skills is really important. Um, Another thing that I would say is really challenging fears. And so um, whether that be food fears and exposing yourself to foods that scare you and eating them with people um, that you trust and care about, or that could look like exposing yourself to the thought in terms of just holding it um, there um, and really just like encountering the thought without using compulsive behaviors.
1: Mm, Okay. I like, so you mentioned like the challenging thought part and I kind of like that idea where there, what you were just saying with the exposure thing, like kind of putting yourself in the path of the, you know, like I feel like my personal tendency when these things come up is to run or avoid it or whatever it is. And because it is so much harder to just face it, to sit with it or to actually do opposite action, which is what I was talking with Jennifer Roland. I don't know if you um, know her. She's an eating disorder specialist too. And she, like a big thing she was talking about when I had her on was opposite action. And that idea, she had this amazing analogy about something with like a wave. And when the wave comes, like just how to use like that idea of opposite action and being with it, sitting with it, like almost challenging things in a sort to overcome like, these things, because I think, you know, and you kind of mentioned this earlier and I wanted to bring it up, but I forgot to, but the idea that, you know, with OCD or with eating disorders, right. Like there's this idea of we're in control when in reality (laughs) they're controlling us. Like we, we are not controlling the situation here. And so I think that idea of like opposite action, challenging, whatever it is, like, that's such a way of like almost self-empowerment in a form to kind of not, you know, like not control the situation, but just empower yourself to like do that next step in a sense.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, you know, some things that are out of our control, like the presence of thoughts or the urges to engage in behaviors. Um, But there is a little bit of choice in terms of what we do with those. Um, And when we are educated and learn about um, how to really um, effectively push back against those thoughts without fighting them um, or without succumbing to urges, I think it's really important to to honor the fact that it's really, really hard to push back against urges and um, to engage in mindfulness, but it's also really possible.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, on that note, say for instance that someone is struggling with, you know, like a food fear, and they they want to do the exposure. They're listening to this. They're like, okay, I'm going to go out and get myself a donut. You know, maybe they haven't had a donut in years. Like, are there any Is there anything you'd suggest just to like help support that right like things to remember words to tell themselves like actions to take just to really like help them feel at at peace and at and almost like safe right when they're like doing this somewhat scary new thing
0: yeah so i don't think that everyone will love to hear this but i think it's important to say um is that remind yourself that the fear thing may or may not happen you can cope with what comes up. So for in that instance, instead of telling yourself, it's just a donut, it won't cause me to gain weight by one donut. I think a better kind of more long lasting recovery says I may or may not gain weight from this, but I can enjoy life. I can enjoy this donut. I can enjoy presence with other people. um, despite that fear. Okay. I like that actually. I mean,
1: I know it's like not the, it's not like what people want to hear or whatever, but (laughs) I think it's like the truth and like the honesty of it. Right. Because the reason I brought that up is I, I struggled for a long time with like autoimmune things. And so I was gluten-free and grain-free and dairy-free and, you know, like all the labels, right. It was all part of like orthorexia too. And recently I've been working to just like dismantle those and gluten has been a big one for me to work on. And at first I was trying to tell myself, like, you're going to be perfectly okay. Gluten will not hurt you. You'll be okay. But like what happened was right. Like my body did react. Like I hadn't allowed myself to enjoy gluten in a long ass time. And I still do have like some health things. So it's, I I did find myself shifting over time to say, Hey, you might be a little bloated or you might be a little like brain foggy, whatever it is. But you know what? Like that sourdough is so good. That donut is so good. Like you're going to enjoy it and you're going to love it. And I found that the last like two or three times. And I did that. Like my mindset entirely shifted because afterwards, if I did have any sort of like little reaction, I wasn't like, my mind wasn't being like, see, see, this is like, this is the danger of gluten. It's like, no, this is like the joy. This is me enjoying the donut and the toast and everything. And so I actually love that you just said that. And I think that's like a huge, huge thing to, it's, you know, it's just like a simple like mindset shift, not simple, but it's a mindset shift, like a, rephrase of speech that could actually have so much more power when you're doing these type of things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so then I guess like beyond that, I just wanted to ask a bit and just, you know, hear your thoughts, but when it comes to, you know, someone with OCD or just eating disorders, disordered eating, any sort of, you know, mental health, um, struggle in a sense, like how does like this, like, how does this like over underlying, I suppose, like theme of almost like perfectionism, right? Or wanting to please or whatever you would want to like call it as, how can that sort of like come into play with these different, different struggles?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. There are definitely a lot of underlying character traits. Um, And one thing that I've heard that's really helpful for me is kind of a way to reframe um, those perfectionist tendencies instead of saying like, I have to be perfect. I want to be excellent, for example. Um, and so there's really some alternate, more positive possibilities that we can do with those underlying kind of, um, sometimes harmful traits. Um, in addition, I think that's a lot of the work that happens after we do nutritional rehabilitation for eating disorders, after we do kind of main exposure therapy, um, we still kind of have a lot of underlying traits usually. Um, and so it's really important to work on those, um, when we've kind of, stabilized, I guess I'll say. Um, And so I think that it's really important to think about um, some factors that might play a role in predispositions as well. So personality traits and characteristics like perfectionism can be um, uh, risk factors for the development of different mental illnesses and disorders. Um, And so that's something to be aware of as children and parents um, so that we can kind of work on those tendencies before they turn into something else.
1: Yeah, sort of like a proactive, preventative approach. Uh, I was talking with someone this morning. She just she just found out she was just diagnosed with autism, and she had some really fascinating, just like tidbits on how that manifested with her eating disorder journey and everything. And one thing we're talking about is how there were these signs, you know, of her when she was growing up, things that just you know her parents didn't know any better of the people they were talking to, like they didn't know how to like spot this. And it was just crazy, you know, to imagine like what could have been, you know, right. If they had come to this conclusion earlier. Um, and I guess like on that note, when it comes to like these, these personality traits or characteristics or like the, like, the parts that are sort of not as easy to see, right. Like when it comes to eating disorders, especially um, since there's so much focus on like the physical or like the main factors, what are some of these like character traits or personality things that are sometimes lingering like towards the end of recovery per se, right? Like these, like the hidden little like nooks and crannies that could potentially bring us right back to where we started. And, you know, if, if it were to happen.
0: Yeah. I think another one is impulsivity. And so that desire to um, kind of get out of the anxiety and do something about it to fix it instead of sitting with those emotions and feelings is one that particularly comes to mind um i'm trying to think of other things i think but i think kind of coming back to what we were talking about before Mm -hmm. it's important to go to therapy early if you can and have access to it because then you're able to kind of point out those habits and those patterns and those characteristics um, early on and i think that's a really good protective factor
1: Now, in that sense, would you recommend a specific type of therapist or, I mean, I know for instance, I've tried EMDR therapy um, and then also I've had people recommend that I find like an eating disorder specialist for therapy, whatever it is. And I just personally don't know, you know, which is better. And of course it's, you know, it's each to each their own. It's going to be a unique case, but in general, are there certain types of therapists or practices or types of therapy that we should be looking for if you know we're struggling with I guess an eating disorder, um, any sort of these like compulsive behaviors that are so so common.
0: Yeah, so I love DBT. Um that's my favorite probably. Um there's it's really uh was developed, I think, for um personality disorders, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, but it's been used a lot in eating disorder treatment, in all different types of mental illness. Um therapies. And so that's my personal favorite. Um, There's also cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which is often used to kind of work on cognitive distortions and thought processes and important for both eating disorders and OCD. Um, The gold standard for OCD is going to be exposure response prevention. So I definitely recommend that And then I also would always recommend seeing a specialist if you can, because um, that means they usually have experience working with individuals who've had those same disorders. And so when you gather more experience with specific disorders, then you're able to kind of know the ins and outs of it, relate a little bit more and things like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I've
1: had someone on before too, and they were talking about that DBT. Uh, I forget what, what we were talking. Oh, she was a therapist and she was doing sort of, you know, imposter syndrome, like all these different things that come up. And we were talking about that. I've never given it a try myself, but I think that's so interesting. Uh, Especially since speaking for myself, I know that in the clutches of my eating disorder and such, the person like that personality, you know, like issue that can come sometimes come up where, I mean, honestly, you know, there was there's me, Emily. And then there's like eating disorder, Emily, like, it's so crazy, you know, like how much space it takes up in your mind, where I think sometimes it almost can be like a personality um, struggle that comes up. So I think that's, that's fascinating to hear. And like on that top on that note, are there any like books or other resources? It's just for someone that wants to dive into this and learn more. Um, not only for myself, because I'm curious, but for everyone <laughs> listening, like, let's help some people out if they really want to.
0: Yeah, I really love, um, sick enough from Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. Um, I think that should be read by every person with an eating disorder who is curious to learn more. Um, I'd also recommend anything from Brene Brown, because I think even though it's not specific to eating disorders, there's just a lot of really wholesome and good, um, teachings in there, I should say, I guess. Um, I also would recommend, um, Almost Anorexic is a really good book that I really appreciated. Um, and let's see. The Intuitive Eating Book is a good yes. one. <laughs> and Anti-Diet from okay. Christy Harrison is also great. Oh, I love Christy Harrison. <laughs> yes, she's
1: great. And you have a podcast as well, correct? Yes. Where can people, like, what's what's your focus on that, would you say? If you have, like, a main focus for it, I suppose. Mine's yeah. a little, like, all over the place, so I understand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, mine is as well. It started off with interviewing mental health clinicians, um, dietitians and therapists about recovery and about um, just OCD and eating disorders in general um, and health at every size approach. But it's kind of shifted to be more about boundaries, relationships um, and communication. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. And that's just
1: that's called the lovely becoming, correct? And is it just on like all typical podcast stations, I suppose? Yes. Perfect. I'm excited. I want to give it a listen. I'm like, I'm so fascinated by this all. I was, I felt like I was geeking out in the beginning. I'm like, oh, I get to ask all my questions I've had about. (laughs) I love this. Well, thank you so much. I guess it's like a final wrap up. Is there any just sort of message reminder quote that's maybe been helping you lately and you just want to share it? I find like these things always resonate with I mean, I feel like so many of us are on a similar wavelength that they just resonate right when you need them to. So if there's been anything that's been supporting you lately, like feel free to share it. I'm sure someone will benefit from it.
0: Yeah. My favorite thing to say is that um, you are not alone in the thoughts that scare you. Mm. Um, And I think that really would have been so helpful to me early on in my story. um, Just knowing that those scary thoughts were not just me.
1: Oh, I love that. Yes, to the community aspect, the knowing you're not alone is crucial, crucial in any aspect of life. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. And you're on Instagram at the lovely becoming as well, correct? Yes. perfect.